The following audio presentation is from Parkwood Baptist Church. The purpose of Parkwood Baptist Church is to glorify God by laboring together for the growth of all believers while going with the gospel to all peoples. More information about Parkwood Baptist Church is available at parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org. Welcome to each of you to our time of worship. I invite you to join me now in the study of God's Word and turn in your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. If you don't have a copy of the Bible, there's one under a chair close by you. We're on page 956 uh, in the chair Bible. So as you're finding your place, I just want to say it's been a joy today to celebrate with Christian families as they dedicate themselves to raise their children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. I'm grateful for the Advent season that we have the opportunity to share together in the singing of the wonderful music of Christmas. And I'm grateful that we get to continue in our study of 1 Corinthians. So if you're new today to Parkwood, we've been working through 1 Corinthians now for several months. Uh, We have this week and next week, and then we'll take a break from it uh, right around Christmas uh, for a few weeks and then return after the first of the year. But the subject matter today is one that likely you've never heard a direct sermon on. You may have. uh, I have never heard one, and until this morning, I had never preached one. A sermon totally dedicated to preaching to single Christians, to those who are unmarried. And that's exactly what the Scripture is addressing here at the end of 1 Corinthians 7. So I want to pray for us, and then we will launch into this text and glean from it what God has to say. Let's pray. Lord, we bow before you and we confess that your word is holy and right and true, that it is sharper than a two-edged sword, that it penetrates into the very depths of who we are. And Lord, I pray now that you would take your word and that you would penetrate the depths of every person gathered, both the married and the unmarried. I pray that you would deal directly with our wrong thinking, our wrong ideas, and that you would cause us to see the truth of your word. May you shift the categories of our mind that are off, and may we line up for what, with what you have taught and what you expect. So lead us now, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. You may or may not be aware of this, but as of 2017, the last time good statistics were were done, 45% of the United States population over the age of 18, 45% are single, unmarried. Of that 45%, 63% have never been married, so more than half. 23% have experienced divorce, and 13% are widowed. Now, just to give you perspective, since I was born in the 60s, 27% of people were single. So it has almost doubled in my lifetime the number of people who are single in this culture in which we live. Now that's changed a lot of thinking and there's a lot of reasons for that which I don't have time to get into today. But I'm not preaching to the culture. I'm preaching to a gathering of God's people. And I just want to 
offer up a couple of questions which drove me as I studied this text and as I prepared this sermon. First, if you're single, what is your attitude towards singleness? What do you think about it? How do you feel about it? To the rest of us, to the married, what is your attitude towards single Christians? So as I pondered it and I just tried to listen in my years of interacting with people, what are some of the things I've heard from the single people? I've heard I'm a failure. I'm less than a person. I'm extremely lonely. I have nowhere to turn. Then I've heard another side, and it goes like this. I'm glad I'm not married. I do what I want to do. When I want to do it, and how I want to do it. Then the attitude of the Christian community of the church, it's very simply summed up. You need to get married. Or why aren't you married? Don't you know Genesis 2.18 says it is good for a man not to be alone? In my preparation this week, I read this helpful quote. It is time that the church stop making it seem as though marriage is the only way for a Christian person to find contentment in life. More than ever in our over-sexualized society, where identity is often caught up in sexual activity, it is important that the church teaches clearly what the grace gift of singleness might look like and what the benefits in serving the Lord may be. The idea that somehow a man or a woman is only complete when married is simply unbiblical. Now that statement alone right there confronts some of us and where we are. So my main idea today is simply this. Single Christians must live devoted to Christ in holiness. Now before I get into the exposition of the text, Big flashing warning sign for your brain. None of you are prone to being extremist at all in the room. I am not saying, and the Bible is not saying, that the advantages of being single are so considerable that marriage is wrong. We're not implying that marriage is less that something is wrong with being married. We're explaining today what it means to be a single Christian. Number one, single Christians must live devoted to Christ. There's three areas in which he addresses this and they build on each other. The first one is very practical in the midst of difficulty. Verse 25, now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. So Paul is saying from the onset, I cannot quote Christ as directly addressing the matter of being single. But, he says, I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. So we know that Paul is an apostle. He has been sent by God and that he has written much of the New Testament. He is not saying here in chapter 7 that what I'm saying is an exception that you can take outside the Bible and say and treat this as if it's optional. He's saying likely or, or, or basically this. 
what I'm about to say is a new category for you, and I'm speaking as one from God. So this is likely a new category in many of our minds. Now, he says, concerning the betrothed, those engaged to be married, literally the virgins, those who have never been married. I think, verse 26, that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Now he's picking up on his teaching from verses 14 to 24. I'll just quote verse 20. Each one should remain in the condition which he was called. Now he's making a very particular application here that in the midst of something that was happening in Corinth, that was unique at this point in time, that these people were in a present distress. There was something unusually difficult happening in Corinth. Now there's a lot written. There's a lot of disagreement about what is written, which a warning to those of you who study and prepare, don't just read one commentary. You need to read in multiple places, particularly in a place where people admit there's disagreement here. Likely, I think the overwhelming nature of scholarship would say he's probably referring to a famine that was happening. He could just be a persecution that was taking place as we know that that was predominant. If you compare present distress to what's written in Matthew 24, you get the intention. It's also tied to verse 29 about the appointed time. What Paul is saying here is that unusually difficult circumstances in Corinth mean that staying single is advisable, at least for the time being. Verse 27, he's very straightforward. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. This is very straightforward. If you're married, stay married. If you're unmarried, don't seek to be married. If you do marry, you haven't sinned. So whether to marry or not is not a matter of sin. It is a matter of this current present distress that Paul is speaking of is to say what is best. Now let's step outside of this for a moment into this culture and apply this or be careful with an application that you could jump to. Well, you just can't afford to get married right now. So I have a question for all you married people. Who can? This is his point. Marriage brings with it concern. Very direct things that you have to deal with. Financial matters. Family matters. It, it's, it's more stressful on you. It's just part of being married. And he's saying, in light of the present distress, don't make things harder on yourself by getting married right now. It's very practical. But, he says, if you do marry, it's not sin. He's not saying, I forbid you to be married. He's just offering up a, a perspective here. But now he presses it further. He moves from this present distress to saying that single Christians must live devoted to Christ in light of eternity. This is what I mean. I love it when the Bible does this. <laughs> so I think it means, well, Paul's going to tell you what he means. 
This is what I mean, brothers and sisters. The appointed time has grown very short. Here's what Paul's saying. We as Christians live our lives recognizing that we are in the last days. The last days are from the moment Christ ascended until he returns. That we know the imminent return of Christ is at hand. It could be today. It could be tomorrow. It could be a hundred years from now. But Christ is coming. We also understand this, that relatively speaking in lights of eternity, our lives are extremely short. I mean, we lined up these babies up here. If, if, if I live long enough and I'm around here long enough, I'll marry some of them. And it'll be like that, bang. They'll be at that point in life. They'll be in college before you know it. Life is short. So here's what Paul's saying. In light of this eternal perspective, he says it this way in Colossians 3, 2, set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. In other words, get an eternal perspective. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. Now, some of you husbands are doing a very good job at this. Literally. The Bible is not saying treat your spouse as if they don't exist. Here's what the Bible's saying here. It's a hyperbole. In light of eternity, don't let your spouse become your focus. Don't let them become the focus of your life. And don't read into it what he doesn't mean either. 1 Corinthians 7, 3 says, A husband should give his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. So in the context of singleness, he's not arguing for a celibate marriage. He's already corrected that. He's saying, don't let your spouse be your focus. Then he says, and those who mourn as those who are not mourning. Now, Paul's not, a, not encouraging us to be Mr. Spock from Star Trek. Non-emotional, flat and frank. What he's saying is, don't be overtaken by grief. And some of you have had some very real grief in your life and recently. He's saying, don't be overtaken by it. Then he says, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing. He's saying, don't be overtaken by pleasant surroundings either. Don't get caught up in the party. Romans 12, 15 balances this. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Then he proceeds to say, those who buy as those who had no goods and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. He's saying, don't be consumed with the dealings of the world. Now, all this could be summed up in an argument that he simply states in Philippians 4.11 this way. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be. Does anybody know the word? Content. This is what Paul's getting at in this whole argument around singleness. Is to be content. That when we have an eternal perspective, it means not that we don't no, we no longer do any business in the world we live in. By the way, world does not mean sinful here. That, that we're not having, we're, we're separating ourselves completely from business. He's saying that these activities of life do not so divert us as Christians that we lose the real meaning of life. That we understand the 
present form of this world is passing away. This is not all that there is. Now turn to Luke 14. Jesus gives a parable in Luke chapter 14. It's very similar here to what we're seeing. I'm just going to read from part of it. The entire thing really starts in verse 12 and extends through verse 24. So Jesus is reclining at the table with people who have heard him teaching. He says, blessed is everyone who will eat the bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who've been invited, come for everything is now ready. So he's talking about the coming, the imminent coming of Christ is what he's pointing to. There's a day when Jesus is going to gather everything together and there's going to be a, quote, great banquet. He says, but the Alawite began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. Now, those things, fields and oxen, we're not relating to, so we can think about cars and business and jobs. But this last one you can relate to. Look at what he says. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore, do you see it? I cannot come. That's the focus. Now, Jesus goes on to explain the consequences of refusing his invitation. Folks, so many of you in this room are currently caught up in the world. Not meaning that you're doing the Baptist bad list, but that you're so focused on the things of the world that you're missing the things of God. And what he's calling all of us, but particularly the single person to, is that we don't focus on the things of the world that's passing away. But what we do is we live devoted to Christ with undivided devotion. And he's arguing, he's arguing that the person who can most clearly do this is an unmarried person. I want you to be free from anxieties. I'm going to translate that word anxieties concern because anxiety is normally always a negative word in your minds. It could also be translated concern. So I want you to be free from concerns. The unmarried man is concerned about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is concerned about worldly things, how to please his wife and his interests are divided. And the married or betrothed woman is, is concerned about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is concerned about worldly things, how to please her husband. So the married, unmarried, is concerned about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. That's positive. And then he uses the other way in, in, in a negative. But is he, is he saying, therefore, you ought not to be married? No, that's not what he's saying. He's, he's speaking to a clear reality that married men and married women who are married to one another are concerned about how to please their spouse. Now, this is not a bad thing. This is a reality. That means when you get married, you can no longer have undivided attention to things. Now, let me just speak into the married people for a moment. Young men, older men, when you get married, 
You might have been able to deer hunt and play video games all you wanted to. But now you're married. You can no longer deer hunt and play video games as long as you want to. You have to be focused on your spouse. Ladies, you may have had lots of friends. You may have been able to have coffee and talk all you want to. But now you can't have lots of friends because now you're married. Did I say you couldn't have friends, ladies? Did I say you couldn't deer hunt? I don't know why an adult man would play video games, but that's on you. <laughs> Just saying. Write me letters. That'll be fine. <laughs> I'm saying that you have to change what you focus on to be focused on your spouse. If you're going to carry out Ephesians five and love each other as Christ has taught you and told you to do. He's saying, though, that the unmarried are to be concerned about the things of the Lord. Now, I said this earlier. Here's where the focus of most singleness today. It's on selfishness. It's on what can I do for myself and how I can live my own autonomous life. I don't want to live with anybody because I don't want anybody telling me what to do. I want to do what I do want to do, when I want to do it, how I want to do it. And let me just say this. I'm not saying you ruin it. If you've been single a long time and you get married, you need good biblical counseling before you get married because you're suddenly going to go from living alone to living with someone and it is a radical shift that needs some help in how you get there and how you live in a married state. He says, I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Verse 35. That we are to have a, a, a constant focus on Christ. And for the single person, they're able to do that without any distraction. And this is not a new idea. So let's not treat it like it is. Go back to chapter 6. Do you not know, verse 19, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. Now here's what Paul's done in chapter 7. He started with the married people and said... This is how you, with undivided devotion, as married people, live unto the Lord and glorify God in your body. He explains it in detail. Now he has shifted to the unmarried person. And he's saying, here is how you live with undivided devotion to the Lord. Now our culture has devalued and dismantled marriage. In fact, it's, it's seen as, as something negative. And while singleness is Affirmed and now even expected, it's seen as selfish and normal to be that way. Christians in both marriage and singleness are to be countercultural. We're to live in marriage and in singleness with undivided devotion, holy in body and spirit. Which brings me to my final major point that single Christians must live devoted to Christ in holiness. Let me just say this before I launch into this. Here's the underlying assumption of married people is that a single person can't live holy. And what the Bible is saying is, yes, you can. Yes, you can. Even in the midst of a hypersexualized culture, you can live holy. Now he says marriage for the sake of holiness is right. If anyone thinks he is not behaving properly toward his betrothed, if his passions are strong and it has to be, let him do as he wishes, let them marry. It is no sin. He's making sure we don't get extremists here. It is not sin to marry. He's already said this in verse 8. 
to the unmarried and the widows, I say that, this, that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. So no one should feel inadequate or some substandard if marriage is the choice taken. Marriage is the norm for most, even still in our culture, and it is in accord with the creation account in Genesis 2, 18-25. But, verse 37 says, whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control, it's a firm decision, not that somebody's making you or you feel forced, with your passions under control. Now listen, I just want to say this right here. This does not mean that a single person never has a passion thought. It means that they're under control and is determined in his heart to keep her as his betrothed. Now he's back to the engaged. He will do well. This is from Tom Schreiner. I found this extremely helpful. One of the remarkable conclusions that we can draw from Paul's discussion is that sexual activity does not belong to the essence of who you are. Human beings are sexual beings created by God as male and female, yet Paul does not teach that one fails to reach one's potential if one never engages in sexual relations. Now listen to me, parents. Here's where it's so harmful that now they're trying to force our children to identify some way sexually. God never intended that our sexuality define us. Now let's, let's set aside all the other ridiculous debates that are going on and just treat it as married and unmarried. And he's saying sexuality doesn't define you. Christ defines you. That's the way we must embrace and that we must see. Now he makes a radical assertion that marriage for the sake of holiness is right, but singleness and holiness is better. So that he who marries does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. And when the translators chose the word better, I tried to come up with a better word, and there's not a better word for better. But in your mind, i got to confront something. The opposite of better is that's not what he says. Look at the text. Look at it carefully. He says, he who marries his betrothed does what? Well, does good. They do right. It's not wrong. It's not worse. It's good. But he who refrains from marriage will do even better. And you've got to understand this in context. What he's saying is, what you can better do is live undivided devotion to Christ. So my question is, when is it good to remain single? Here's the answer. When it is embraced as a gift from God. So let me ask the question this way. Is marriage a gift from God? Yes. Now, I don't think some of us could have answered this apart from this text today. And in light of what the Bible teaches, is singleness a gift from God? Yes. If that's how you see it, and you have come to embrace it, 
then you can say with Paul, I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. Verse 7, verse 17. Only let each person live the life the Lord has assigned to him, to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. If you're a single female particularly, and you don't know who Amy Carmichael is, you need to get to know her. Amy Carmichael came to faith in Christ in in rural Ireland, not a place that is a bastion of Christianity, but she came to faith in Christ and she moved to Belfast to the city in order to start a ministry to meet, to reach young single women who were working in the factories in Belfast. A few years later, she sat under the teaching of Hudson Taylor, who ran Inland China Mission. And Amy became convinced that she needed to go to the nations with the gospel. She got on a ship, no planes then, and sailed to India and stayed 55 years without a furlough. She never came home. Not only did God use her to reach the people of India, God used her to do something very unique. She started an orphanage because of the way children were treated in India. And here's what she discovered. That Indians were selling their babies and young children to be temple prostitutes in Hindu temples. She exposed this for what it was and God used Amy Carmichael to help end this practice in India or at least the overt practice. If you read her, you understand that Amy Carmichael believed what 1 Corinthians 7 is teaching, that for her to refrain from marriage was better, that that was the right thing, that that is what God had assigned her to. So here's my question as I draw this to a conclusion. And I direct this to the single and unmarried Christian among us. But for you married people, please learn how to talk and share and counsel when you interact with someone who is unmarried. Here's the question. As a single Christian, should I pursue marriage or remain single for the sake of living devoted to Christ and holiness? In verse 39, Paul says, A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes. Only in the Lord. Marriage is a real option. Only in the Lord. Now you unmarried people, listen carefully to me. It's not your check in the box that he or she will go to church with you or they claim to be a Christian. The Bible says not to be unequally yoked. That means that you're joining up with someone. The image is two oxen working together yoked up together. So somebody can say they're a Christian, but be in the yoke in the opposite direction. You're trying to go to the Lord and they're trying to go away or some other direction. You got to be together. You have to be in the Lord, in Christ together. This answers the devotion issue. That if you're both in Christ, the one flesh union is a real one flesh union because you are one in Christ. And together, as a married couple, you live devoted to Christ in holiness. But if you remain single, verse 40 says, In my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is. And I think that I too have the Spirit of God. 
Why happier? Really what he's getting to is the idea of contentment. She is more content if she remains as she is. So you can write me a letter this week or come to me in the lobby and say to me as an unmarried person, Pastor, do you think I ought to get married? And I'm going to say, I don't know. I'm not you. Here's what I will say to you. Romans 12. I appeal to you, brothers, and this is an interchangeable word, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God in view of what Christ has done to redeem you. My brother and sister in Christ, present your body as a living sacrifice. Don't live like the rest of the singles in the world around us. Give your body to Christ, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Don't be conformed. Don't be shaped by the world around you. Listen. This is free. This is not in my notes. I, as a pastor, have now gotten off Twitter. I'm going to remove my account soon. There's so much argument among preachers and Christians on Twitter that it wears me out, so I'm off. And let me just appeal to you single brothers and sisters. It might just be best to get off social media and to quit looking at everybody who's living the delightful, perfect life that's making you feel bad. Live the life the Lord has assigned you. You. Don't be shaped by the world around you. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So let me offer an illustration. A little over two years ago, a couple who served the International Mission Board Liz and Andy found out that Andy had an incurable disease. And it wasn't just incurable because they were overseas. Even here in the United States, it's something that could not be treated. The diagnosis was a death sentence. So here's what Andy decided they would do. That while he was physically able, they'd spent 25 years on the field, they moved around to the places where they had planted churches and they encouraged the churches and the pastors and the leaders one by one. As Andy's health declined, they returned home for hospice care. This summer, Andy went to be with Jesus. Liz, later this fall, came to this conclusion. She had two years to mourn the death of Andy along his side. And here's what she decided. The investment that God had put in their life of language and culture and planting churches and missions would not go to waste. So soon after Christmas, Liz is going to get on a plane and she's going back to where they're from to give the rest of her single life for the sake of the gospel. Amen. Now let me bring it home. 18 months ago, a delightful sister in Jesus, Kathy Hubbard, went to be with Jesus. 
Let's just say Larry needed her. But Larry's come to embrace this. I'm a single man who can live for Christ. And two weeks ago, you selected the first single chairman of deacons in the history of Parkwood. Amen. My single brothers and sisters, you are not less than a human. You are not less than a Christian. You are our brothers and sisters. You are a gifted part of the body of Christ, and you are here for the sake of the gospel. We link arms with you. And could I just say, as I conclude this message, I repent on behalf of the church and how you've been treated. Not just Parkwood, but the church in America. We have far too long treated our singles as less than people. You are God's chosen children, and we love you. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the corrective this has been to my own heart pastorally. Thank you for the correction that you have proved and played out among us congregationally today. For those that are listening online and who will listen, use this message to shape how we see one another. And God, would you raise up in this church an army of unmarried men and women who give themselves with undivided devotion to the things of God. In the workplace, in this community, through this church. And Lord, will you send some of them to the ends of the earth. Do your work among us, we pray. Thanks for listening to this audio presentation from Parkwood Baptist Church, located in Gastonia, North Carolina. Please feel free to share this message with others. For more information about Parkwood Baptist Church, visit parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org.